are listening to the Advanced Leadership Podcast from the South Carolina Baptist Convention. Now, here's your host, Lee Clamp. Well, welcome back to another edition of Advanced Leadership Podcast. I am here with a legend today (laughs) in his own right. This is Seth Buckley, student ministry guru from decades of ministry work. Seth, how in the world are you doing? Doing great, man. Just glad to be with you today, Lee. I'm just glad you're still alive, Seth. I mean, <laughs> working with teenagers for as long as you've been working with them and you are, have lived to tell the story. So, Seth, what, tell us about how you got your start, your family, man. Uh, let, let us know about you. Well, I was, I was raised in a Christian home and a uh, product of a minister's kid. You know, my dad was in ministry. And so I was, I watched youth ministry growing up, but in those days it was the minister of music for the most part that did youth ministry because your youth choir was pretty much your, uh, the go-to point. That's where the students gathered, did youth choir. And then we would do youth mission trips that the choir would sing on and that kind of stuff. And, uh, so, I, you know, my mom and dad's home was open to students all the time and watch them. They didn't use the term discipleship in those days, but uh, that's what they were doing. They were discipling kids and reaching some that were hard to reach. And so when I was in uh, high school, I guess it was my junior year, I really felt the Lord tugging at my heart to do something more for him. I surrendered everything to him. I became a Christian when I was eight. But I think it was my junior, senior year that I really sensed God tugging at my heart to consider something uh full time i didn't know what that looked like obviously um went on to uh um into college and i guess it was in college i went to university of alabama as a freshman then i transferred up i was at Furman university and i was serving at a church in greenville washington avenue baptist church and um and i really went there as a part-time deal you know they said hey can you come be a part-time youth minister and i wasn't thinking career you know, I was a college student, and I, I hate to say that it was a job, but, you know, it was, I could do it. I worked with students. You know, I, I worked with an organization called Palmetto Boys State, which I felt real comfortable organizing and working with kids, students. But uh, it was during that process I began to sense, well, I, I love working with students, and I love sharing the gospel. I love discipling students. And so it was through that experience that God began to soften my heart to what that could be. Hmm. Wow. And, and through that time, uh, you actually, you actually grew the student ministry because you started having kids. So tell us about your family. Yeah. So, um, Rob and I, we got married in, in 1986. And, um, when we moved from Greenville down to Somerville, Jacob was, was born. Uh, and then, uh, Caleb was born. And then we moved up to Spartanburg, had Eli and Micah. And so I really wanted to kind of help the church growth process, and Rob and I did. But, uh, you know, one of the cool things about youth ministry for me is a lot changed when I became a parent because mm-hmm. you you saw things differently. Um, uh, but also when they came into the student ministry, it was different. Uh, things that I thought were cool mm. <laughs> may not have been so cool, and they reminded me of that. Here's what happened to me, Seth. When I, when I had kids, I thought to myself, and I went and grabbed some of my parents, and I said, I would never let my kids go with me when I was 22 years old. How in the world did you let your kids go with me on some kind of student ministry right. trip? You know what I'm saying? Oh, listen. You know what I'm saying? No, I, you know, I think I think back to... 
uh, me taking youth trips, Robin and I, and maybe one other couple. And I was like 20 years old, 21 years old. And I couldn't drive the bus at the time. So some of us would drive the bus, but I was the guy. And we'd carry 30 or 40 kids somewhere. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, it's so different now in our No in our, forms. We had no forms. No risk, forms. risk management. What was that? <laughs> Dude, I mean, that was a, you know, when I was at seminary and they mentioned that about, uh, you know, uh, risk management stuff, I'm like, oh, uh-oh. <laughs> we've, we've missed that one, you know. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, the two-adult rule, the when you're traveling across state lines, you need medical release forms. I'm like, wow. There's a lot I have not done. How we were able to make it through and still break all the rules. I mean, you know, cutting the tags off of mattresses. You know what I mean? When it, it clearly <laughs> says not to do it. And uh, I remember standing over a teenager one time at a uh, ski retreat in a in a basically a neck brace on a bodyboard. Yes. And the person saying to me, um, we cannot take them off the bodyboard. They have to go to the hospital and the ER unless you sign this document. Yes. And I said to the teenager Dude. at the time, can you feel your toes? She said, yes. I said, how's your neck feel now? She says, it doesn't hurt that bad, I don't think. I said, let me hold the form, I'll sign it. <laughs> Dude. Praise God, she I'm... stood up. <laughs> no paralysis. And I still am in ministry today. To I, I think back on those moments, Lee, and we wore God's grace out <laughs> on that. And you know something else we didn't have? We did not have cell phones back in the day to have to worry about this with teenagers. A lot has changed. What yeah. have you seen that's changed over the last 20 or 30 years? Of yeah, I was going to say, you know, back back when 9-11 hit, um, the, the helicopter parenting movement kind of, took a steroid shot hmm. and um i think parents were more concerned about the safety of their child than they were about the spiritual environment of what you were trying to accomplish hmm. and so they wanted instant communication they right. wanted uh you know know where you were what time you're going to arrive all hmm. the details and none of that was wrong but it just began to change and, and create more anxiety for the student minister and then when cell phones showed up on the scene later in that decade and that students begin to carry the cell phones. Um, that's 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 pre-social media, right? Okay, just right. the fact that they could text message and mm -hmm. receive a text. Um, it it really it really did create more of a if, if something happened. Hey, listen, this happened, and and you've got a you receive a phone call from a parent saying, "Well, so and so texted me and said this happened." You're like, I, I had no idea, and right. so all of a sudden you're having to navigate. Uh, drama in the youth group sure because there's been communication to the outside sure and uh and all of that technology has changed um even teenagers so how have you seen teenagers change over the last 30 years you've been working with them for 30 so how have you been able to see teenagers change yeah well two two things that j jump out number one is the um there, there's having this other personality uh, students will create a personality in social media that it's almost like that's the image that they want to be or want to be known as. It's not who they really are, but uh, they'll create posts or pictures or uh, kind of connect and identify as this person so that people will like them. Um, but it may not necessarily be who they are. It, some will go so far as to create another Instagram account, um, which a lot of parents are totally not aware of. And, uh, and they kind of create and live this other 
alternate world. Uh, so that that is a, that is a challenge. But the other thing that that may be more dominating in the culture right now is their inability to communicate face to face. Students, you know, they're they're masters at 160 characters or less of shooting a message or whatever. But when you sit them down with a person, there's this huge awkwardness. You could have two 17 year olds and they have the awkwardness of a 12 year old because they don't know socially how to interact. And we did a trip two years ago where um, we were going to the beach for four days. And, and um, I mean, we, we took a, we took a bunch of kids and I made a rule. Hey, listen, no cell phones on the trip, period. And uh, of course people looked at me like, okay, you're, you know, you, you look, you got three heads. I mean, oh, yeah. there's no way you're going to do that. How to get, how can I get in touch with my kid? Well, here's the emergency number. And like, what's our kids going to do? I had, I had one parent say, what's my son going to do in his free time? I was well, I'm just going to spend time on the beach or play volleyball or swim or talk to friends. And, uh, the, the short version of what happened is, you know, we're traveling down of course. And it, it really was drama at first. No, no kidding. Uh, I think the parents were more concerned with the kids than, mm-hmm. than the kids were. We got to the first rest area and we had a picnic and uh, there's tons of kids spread out all over the place sitting down and they're in circles and this like miracle happened. They're talking. Hmm. They're not taking selfies. They're actually living in the moment. They're not trying to capture a moment with a smile and send it out to everybody else. Hmm. They're in that moment. And I think students have missed out on, on understanding a moment they may be right in the middle of something special, but then they're like, oh, I need to take a picture of this and send it out to my friends. No, you don't have to do that. You, you need to be in that moment and, and even listen to what God could be saying in that moment. So those two things, I think, are some of the biggest yeah. things that technology has, has kind of brought a challenge to students. Yeah, that's great. You know, one of the most innovative things a student minister could do is to take away innovation. Mm. They could actually do exactly what you just did and say, you know what, we're going to actually be the people that are here are more important than the people that are not here. Yeah. So let's let's actually sit down with them, talk to them, have face to face communication with them. And um, so that we can build these skills that uh, obviously are lacking. In fact, I mean, I think the new superhero in the future for for student for, for students, uh, new superhero or. Are, are people that can learn how to interact and engage in relationship with other people. You know, yeah. it's interesting, Lee, that, that, that on the day we returned, um, I gathered students together and I said, how hard was it without your cell phone? Mm. Well, where'd you learn? And, and they were like, you know, it's hard at first, but then it was almost like, this is n- no kidding. The number of kids that said it was almost like the pressure was off. Wow. wow. It was, it was cool. It was, um, mm. I, I didn't, I didn't realize how much I was addicted to it and all these other things, but I'll never forget the kids when that young man said, I felt like the pressure was off mm-hmm. that I wasn't constantly looking and checking to make sure I didn't miss a message that I had to reply to. Cause if you don't, right. me- if you don't message back right then, that right. person thinks you hate them. Right. And you blew everybody's streak by the way. Oh, dude! You blew- oh, what was funny is they had to—they were lining up people to keep the streaks alive, you know, before the trip. Ah, oh, that was so funny, man! Oh my gosh! Well, listen, man. Uh, through the years, um, we have seen a decline in baptisms mm-hmm. for the next generation. Now, 
when we look at stats around our state, um, we actually see that about 75%, 80% of people who get baptized do so before the age of 18 years old. So this is a huge deal. If baptisms are going down with the next generation, um, we're losing ground on lostness actually overall within the state of South Carolina. Um, because you've been through this this season, this era, these decades, I mean, what are your thoughts as to why this is happening? Lee, I think there's a few reasons, and I'm going to try to rattle them off quickly. But I, I think, number one, I think the culture we're in right now questions more about the authority of God's Word and uh, if God truly is creator God than ever before. I know when I started back in the early 80s, 1983 was uh, President Reagan passed a resolution that was signed by or passed by Congress, signed by President Reagan, uh, declaring 1983 is the year of the Bible. Okay, recognized as God's authoritative word, as a compass for our nation. I mean, it's an unbelievable document to read. Uh, and then a, you fast forward, you know, 38 years now, and, and we are so far from that. Uh, so I think salvations and, and baptisms were more then because we were in an environment where people said, when you quoted scripture, people recognized that as authoritative. Mm. And you could talk about God, and, uh, and it was not immediately questioned. Mm. So it's in, in Ken Ham's book, uh, Gospel Reset, he talks about an Acts 2 environment and an Acts 17 environment, and that Peter spoke in an Acts 2 environment where everybody there listening knew that there was a creator God, and they under and valued God's word, you know, the Pentateuch and all that stuff. Um, and and But in Acts 17, when Paul spoke to the philosophers, Epicurean, Stoic philosophers, uh, man, they were questioning everything, uh, everything about it. I think we're in that environment. I, I'm not convinced that uh, when student ministers engage in that conversation, um, that that we're equipping students to understand with all the questions they're getting from school to discern truth. And so helping student ministers know, hey, listen, you know, you need to be fully equipped. I mean, listen, I'm, I'm constantly studying, trying to be more, uh, you know, versed in how to defend the faith. Uh, and I've been doing this a long time. And, and, and so a lot of student ministers are passionate about reaching students, but they need to know how to articulate truth and, 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 and you know, talking about creation, talking about the validity of Scripture, so that when they speak with students, students can see that this is truth and that makes sense and they see the need for Christ, you know, because basically, you know, when you're looking at students, I mean, I was called into student ministry because I wanted to see students come to know Jesus. Um, is youth ministry today, and I think there's still youth pastors like that out there, okay, that they want to see kids come to know Christ. I think there has to be a balance. I think there's some student pastors that value the relationships with the students so much that it could be easy for them to miss that the very first thing we've been called to do is to share the gospel and disciple them. But in doing that, we, we, in the culture today, we've got to win the right to be heard. Mm -hmm. And they've got to see that the, the need for Christ, uh, whereas 30 or 40 years ago, uh, when you talked about sin, it, that context was different today. 
I mean, students are like, well, I don't believe the Bible. Okay, well, all of a sudden you've got an issue because you've got to, you've got to talk about scripture. You've got to go back to creation. Well, mm-hmm. I don't believe in creation. I believe in evolution. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So I think the challenges of culture, I think student pastors that uh, may be relying on passion alone, mm-hmm. um, and I, I think they need to, I think all of us need to go back and continue to study mm-hmm. and prepare. But remember that the goal is to be sharing the gospel the other thing is drawing the net, Lee. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, I mean, Peter, there's no doubt that when Peter shared, the reason we know thousands were saved mm-hmm. is because somebody, there was an opportunity to respond, and they responded. And I think a lot of times in student ministry, we don't give students a chance to respond. Okay. We make it too soft. We're like, okay, I want you to think about that and go home. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? There's a kid there that's going, wait a minute. God's working in my heart right now. We need to give them an opportunity to respond. Right. And I'm not sure we do that. I'm not talking about manipulating them and, and right. playing emotional mind games. Right. But giving them opportunities to respond. And I don't know if, if, if all student ministries, you know, grasp that. Right. That that's an important part of what they do. I think that clear next step for the opportunity to respond is where I, I sometimes see um, people fall short. Mm-hmm. So, whether it's a clear next step of take the card out in front of you, fill it out, mm-hmm. um, mark on that card that you're interested in finding out what it means to be a Jesus follower or to be baptized and somebody will follow up with you. That's a clear response. If it's a, hey, stand up, raise your hand, whatever, it's a clear next step that's mm-hmm. given. Or if it's just in a personal conversation, rather than share the gospel and just say, hey, what'd you think about that? Oh, that all sounds really great. Um, okay, great. I look forward to seeing you next time. It's um, what's keeping you right now from trusting Jesus with your life right now. That's a clear opportunity to respond. It's a question. If that individual says, hey, you know what? Um, I'd like to follow him right now. Mm-hmm. Then right then and there, you give the clear next step, whether that's uh, praying with them and letting that articulate that to God or making a pathway for, for baptism on the public profession of faith. But I hear you when when you say you know that a lot of times student pastors kind of shy away from that. Um, I've got my thoughts. Uh, what are your thoughts? Why do you feel like that sometimes uh, youth pastors shy away from that? I think I think a lot of it is, is a genuine desire to not push the students away. Okay. I think they don't want to hurt the relationship with the students, so they don't want to come across and make them feel uncomfortable. And I think it's genuinely, hey, I love these kids. I don't want them to feel awkward. Mm-hmm. And, and and what I would say to that is because you love them, mm-hmm. trust that the Holy Spirit can bridge that gap. Right. I mean, you've you've got to if you truly love them, then man, you're going to want them to know the truth and how to what. So what do I do with that? How do I respond to that? Well, mm-hmm. this is what it looks like to surrender your life to Christ. Right. And it's it's it is simple, but it is a significant step. Right. And don't we don't need to soft sell it as like it's not a big deal. It is a big deal. And I think, you know, uh, the the pendulum swing away from easy believism, whereas raise your pinky right now, all heads are bowed, eyes closed, raise your pinky right now. Right. If you're trusting Jesus, then you just got saved. Praise God. You don't have to tell anybody, whatever else, and you walk out of here, and then you count and 100 people got saved tonight. Come on. And I think there's a reaction to that, and the reaction to that could be unbiblical, and that is that mm-hmm. we never call anybody out. We never right. give people an opportunity to respond. 
I think that we have to lie in the middle on that if we're going to actually live like the Scripture taught, and that is to make it very clear as to what your next step is. Jesus' next step for the fishermen that day were drop your nets and follow me. Yeah, come on right now. It wasn't get baptized right then. It was stand up, follow me. There needs to be a clear next step when we're talking to individuals, and I think that sometimes that that push away from easy believism, if you want to call it that, um, has has caused a lot of people to shy away um, from doing that. Yeah, I, I, I was going to say, go back to something you said earlier, that this is the age that we have our best opportunity. Yeah. And presenting the gospel, because you know that starting around age 12, 13, 14, mm-hmm. they begin to process moving from concrete thought to abstract thought. Mm-hmm. They're considering yeah. concepts. And so when you explain to them about the need for Jesus mm-hmm. and how he is, he can be that one who knows them best, loves them most, mm-hmm. will never leave them, never forsake them. There's going to be some lonely times coming, but he's right there with you. Here's how you can talk to him. Uh, he has a plan for your life. When mm-hmm. they can then begin to process those things, here's what it looks like to fully surrender to his plan. And, uh, and then, hey, listen, once you make this step, we're going to walk with you through what it means to be a Jesus follower. Right. Um, and just and make it, being intentional about how do we make that happen and how do we follow up? Well, the reality is it is not going to happen unless you're around some lost teenagers. And um, mm-hmm. so if we're satisfied with the ones who are already coming and the families who are already coming, we're going to miss out on a large segment of teenagers. So share with us uh, just kind of where you are right now, just your burden for, for uh, in passion points right now when it comes to working with the next generation. You know, one of the things uh, in, in the demise of the homes that we have seen over, you know, the general over the last decades that I've been in student ministry, the number of single parent homes and fatherless kids that we're seeing that are growing up without the influence of a dad, um, I'm seeing the uh, that problem just kind of creates an exponential compounding effect uh, in our culture and in our schools. And one of the things that I'm very passionate about is is mobilizing men to be more engaged in the in the in the schools. Uh, I've watched my son; he started a ministry fire pit ranch several years ago, and uh, they do a mentoring program in the elementary school all the way up through high school. And uh, one of the things, and one of the particular schools that they're serving up in District Five in Spartanburg, there are 12 young men in the program, and none of those boys have a dad. And the stories are absolutely gut-wrenching, okay? Uh, And just a few weeks ago, um, one of the boys who's 12 years old, um, he had to fight his way out of a gang that he was in. He was a runner for a gang. And uh, and on the the next mentorship, he hung around to, to talk with my son and basically explained what happened, that he had to fight his way out. But he wanted to be different, that he believed in what he and the other mentors were saying and wanted to be more like them. What that said to me is these guys are, there's kids looking for role models. There's, and there's kids like that in every school, Lee. Mm. I mean, all across our country, but narrowing it down to our state. And so my passion right now is to, is to help mobilize the church, big church, to see that's our responsibility. Mm. It has never been the government's responsibility to help with fatherless children. Right. I mean, that's James one twenty seven. Right. Bro. That's straight out of the word. And so I think a lot of times when in the vacuum of the church is not responding, somebody else steps in and everybody points and says, well, they'll fix that. No, that's the church's job. And men in churches all over the country need to be mobilized. Mm. 
And so, so that's, that's, you know, and and listen, when you put godly men who love Jesus, who get in there with kids, Hmm. don't have a dad. I mean, you know, Lee, you got some stories you could talk about that. And, and, uh, you and I both do. We've seen think God do some amazing things. Hmm. Um, and they're hungry for that. So, um, anyway, that's something I'm really passionate about. Um, because if we're going to move the needle in our culture, mm-hmm. I'm seeing right now that that is, that is an issue that is perpetuating into a lot of our social issues we're seeing in our culture today hinges on there not being positive male role models in the lives of kids. That's great, man. That's great. You know, um, there are a massive amount of teenagers that are never going to come to your student ministry, mm-hmm. regardless of what kind of music you play or how good your sermons are. Um, they're never going to come. You're going to have to go send people to them That's and right. you personally going to have to go to them. And when you do, you may end up, um, standing in the gap, uh, in, in arenas like this, uh, to, to bring a father to the fatherless. And one last thought as we wrap this up, um, Student pastors uh, that are listening, I know that they're pretty busy. Some of them have made it through the entire podcast. And so if you're one of those that made it all the way through, uh, my big challenge to you, I know you've got a lot of demands on your life. I know you're, you're trying to you know, do everything that the pastor doesn't want to do. And you're also trying to do student ministry and going after lost kids. Don't let your son or daughter, don't let your son or daughter be a fatherless kid. So be engaged with your family in the Mm. midst of that. And the reason I bring that up is because I believe that Seth Buckley is a model dad Mm. to his sons. He's helped me. He he talked even about one time putting a little fire pit out. And uh, we did that. And um, and having time with the boys to be able to to sit down and talk about life. And so if you're a if you're a young student pastor out there and you've got some kids and you're trying to figure out how to balance all this stuff. Man, ping Seth up. I, I know he would love to connect with you and uh, give you some great wisdom in that. Seth, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Lee. Yeah, it's going to be great. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, until every life is saturated and transformed by the hope of the gospel, advance. Thanks for listening to the Advanced Leadership Podcast from the South Carolina Baptist Convention. This South Carolina Baptist Convention podcast is made possible through the cooperative program giving of South Carolina Baptist churches. For more information, visit scbaptist.org.